Welcome to the Weekly Wrap podcast by the National Farmers Federation. Here's this week's update. Good afternoon and welcome to the Weekly Wrap podcast. I'm Charlie Thomas, the National Farmers Federation's General Manager of Corporate Affairs. Joining me today is Ash Saladini, our Chief Economist and General Manager for Trade. G'day, Ash. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Um, Ash and I are going to unpack some of the week's economic news, and there's plenty of it a bit later in the podcast. But firstly, let's get stuck into our top five policy and agricultural issues for this week. Uh, Making headlines this week, the federal parliament, the 47th parliament, had its first week back, um, a whole new makeup, new look for the parliament, new government, obviously, and a lot more teals and greens than we were used to last time. Question time in Parliament saw a real focus on the issue of foot and mouth disease if relevant to to us at the NFF. Um, And we actually saw a new Senate inquiry established through through the Senate this week, which will be reporting back by October just on Australia's biosecurity response and preparedness for foot and mouth disease. Uh, We also saw legislation to enshrine our new climate commitment, our target of 43% reduction by 2030. That's been introduced into the House. Uh, with much fanfare by the government, and we'll wait to see with interest how that proceeds through the Senate in later sittings. Uh, Also of interesting question time this week, Water Minister Tanya Plibersek signalled that the additional 450 gigalitres under the Murray-Darling Basin Plan, the timeframe for delivering that may have to be extended, but uh, notably the government's remaining committed to delivering that and refusing to rule out buyback, something that's causing some concern for us and our members. The economic news really dominated the week in Parliament as well, with the Federal Treasurer um, providing an economic statement. Ash and I are going to get into that in a bit more detail later on. Uh, Just back on foot and mouth disease. So some new data out this week looking at the rate of vaccination and the rate of infections out of Indonesia. So Thomas Elder Markets have released some data, compiling really the the data coming from the Indonesian government, suggesting that we may have seen the peak in uh, new cases in cattle in Indonesia. We'll wait to see whether that data turns out to be correct, but some cause for early optimism perhaps. Um, Check out the weekly round newsletter itself to see that graph, very interesting curve. Uh, The red meat sector has uh, partnered with the Farming for the Future program this week to try and unpack and quantify the contribution of natural capital to the profitability of farm businesses um, as part of their target to get the industry to carbon neutral by 2030. Um, And speaking of 2030, the NFF's been on the road with our member organisations this week in both Tamworth in New South Wales and Yarrawonga in Victoria, talking to producers in a couple of forums about the industry's progress towards 2030 to 100 billion in farm gate output by 2030. Um, We were doing that in partnership with those member organisations and with Telstra. Check out, uh, again, the newsletter for some links to learn about what was discussed there. Ash, let's get into this economic news. So firstly, what, what was the economic statement released by the Treasurer this week? What was that all about? Yeah, look, so the Treasurer just lists an update on the economic forecast for Australia and um, basically gives you an um, outline of what the Treasury um, and, and sort of the government is thinking around uh, what the situation will be with, with GDP, with employment, unemployment, um, wages and inflation. And unfortunately, none of the news is good. So um, 
the thing that's taking most of the headlines is the inflation numbers. So at the moment, um, it's sitting at 6.1%, which is a lot higher than forecast. It was forecast to be around 4 to 5%, and it's set to peak at around 8%. So that's um, a um, almost a once-in-a-generation type um, outcome there. So can we pause on the inflation for a second? So what's driving that when you get into it? And, and so that's the that's a really good question. There's two or three different drivers. Uh, one is around international issues. And we have to be very clear here that there's nothing we can do about international issues. Um, shipping, for example, um, has ground to a standstill in, in a lot of cases, mainly because um, China still has a zero COVID policy. And so a lot of ports are running at half capacity and um, ships and containers are in the wrong place. Um, there's a war in Ukraine, um, and that's creating all sorts of issues for gas, for um, for energy um, and for things like fertilizers and agvet chemicals and grains. And so these factors cannot be addressed by any domestic um, sort of policy or initiative. There are things that are domestically driven and that was easy money. So the, the RBA printed a lot of money and, um, through um, issuing bonds uh, and, and um, putting a lot of money into the um, economy, basically, and record low interest rates. So if there's a lot of money and there's not a lot of things to buy, um, what do people do? They bid up things. Um, and so that's where we are, and that's why we are currently seeing uh, potentially um, more um, uh, sort of interest rate tightening and increasing of the cash rate as well. And you touched on this a bit, but... I know when we look at the food, the contribution of groceries and food, fruit, uh, food and beverage, and in particular fruit and veg. I know the inflation data said fruit and veg up 5.8% just in the last quarter. That's almost a whole year's worth of inflation just in three months. What's driving the food price story? So the, the, again, the, um, it's a multi-factor um, story, uh, multi-narrative story. The first one is around. We've had a few disruptions, a um, few um, significant weather events in terms of floods, um, particularly during winter when only our major growing areas are north, uh, northern New South Wales and um, Queensland. And so supply was significantly restricted. Now, that's actually um, sort of playing itself out through the system. And, you know, um, particularly um, Victoria and other areas are coming online in terms of um, supply. The other issue is that, um, and we'll, it is a bigger issue is that I, I dare say um, the likes of the supermarkets and processors um, and some of the intermediaries are taking a lot of the um, benefit from the um, production of um, food and in particular um, fruit and veg um, and, and things like dairy. And so um, th there is a bit of profit taking there um, and I I'd like to see what the um, sort of annual uh, income statements are for some of these companies during this period. Now, the Australian Institute, not someone that the National Farmers Federation regularly uh, quotes, um, did a bit of work around um, where um, the major drivers of um, inflations are, inflation is, and it wasn't necessarily just wages. They also pointed to uh, record corporate profits as being uh, one of the major components of um, the inflation number. So the money is going somewhere, and unfortunately, it's not going to the farmer's pockets or the consumer's pocket. Now... Maybe we'll come back to the um, the other attributes of the economic statement, but just while we're talking about inflation and increased costs, I think there was some data out of ABES this week as well, just on input costs for farmers and how those are going up as well. So it seems like not every everyone, whether you're a consumer or a business owner, your costs are going up. And that's exactly right. So um, I think um, for a um, per hectare of um, for a, for a cropping um, business, um, I think their costs have gone up from somewhere around two hundred and fifteen dollars in terms of inputs to around four hundred and fifty dollars, and that's in a space of um, twelve months. So essentially, your costs have doubled um, in that short space of time. And 
at the moment, um, you know, prices are good at the farm gate, but that's not going to last forever. And um, it doesn't stand to reason that the input costs will go down at the same time. So it's something that we need to be aware of and uh, make sure that um, farmers are in the best position um, to, to pass on those costs if they remain. So obviously there's not much the government can do about getting down fertiliser prices directly, but what about other levers that can pull? Things like labour. I mean, we know that's a huge issue for farmers. That's exactly right. International issues are international issues. We can be upset about that. We can ask for action, but what is the action? Um, there's not ready-made solutions that we can sort of um, roll out, but there are things at a domestic level um, that we can do. We're at full inflation, uh, full employment, and we're finding hard um, to find workers across um, industries and across the supply chain. So it's not just an agricultural issue, it's at every level um, of the economy. In these times, we do really need to rely on migration, and that's something that we really need to put forward at the um, job summit or the skills summit that the Labor has um, proposed. Skills and skills and training and education can certainly be part of the solution, but that is a medium to long-term solution. And you know, it will take years before um, that um, supply of Labor hits the market. In the interim, uh, we really do need to rely on migration to fill these gaps. And I understand that there are some sensitivities with the current government around um, increasing the supply of the workforce, potentially, you know, whittling down um, workers' um, uh, sort of um, bargaining power. However, in times of full employment, that sort of logic doesn't hold to reason. Yeah, no, it certainly doesn't. So, okay, going back to this economic side, another. What other bad news was in there for us? I think oh, that's skyrocketing. From we, we can we can talk about bad news for for the the rest of the pod uh, podcast. Basically, um, so the um, consumer price index, obviously, we've just um, covered very high. The um, economic growth um, has been shaved down. So um, you know we were looking at four and four and a half percent annual uh, GDP growth. That's been whittled down to around three and a half percent, and basically year on year, um, shaving off half a percent. So essentially what's happened is because of the inflation um, issue and the supply constraints, um, that economic um, sort of uh, good news story has sort of been slowly deteriorating. And we don't have the workers, um, things are costing more, so there's less economic activity. And the solution to that inflation is going to create less economic activity by jacking up interest rates. Unfortunately, it will address inflation, but it will also mean businesses, individuals, um, companies that are wanting to get loans um, to do productive things uh, will find it more expensive to do or might um, actually defer doing those things. So um, not great news there. And I guess from our perspective, we need to focus on things that are um, productive and make sure government doesn't squeeze the, the levers too hard. So it is that time of month again and the RBA is meeting next week. Should I be rushing out and locking in my interest rate before they do that? Yeah, I, I wish um, we had this conversation a couple of months ago because I haven't fixed my my mortgages either um, for certain parts of it anyway. Um, yes, I, I dare say it's going to go up. The question is by how much. Um, this is a global issue and global central banks, particularly the, the US feds, um, have significantly increased um, rates, including their last meeting as well. And um, usually when the feds move, um, the RBA follows. People are suggesting a 0.75 increase in the cash rate. Um, and yeah, that's a that's a record um, sort of um, consecutive rises, um, which would um, actually flow on to um, a, probably a higher um, increase by um, by your bank as well. So th that doesn't stand to reason that your bank will charge you 0.75% more. They'll probably um, uh, look look ahead and maybe even go um, ahead of that cash rate um, increase as well. So again, uh, not good news. Um, however, hopefully they are trying to um, um, 
get the sting out early and then moderate and, and play a wait and um, see approach thereafter. So I think we saw overnight uh, the US is now on some data in a technical recession, not actually in recession as yet, but we'll wait and see. Treasurer says that we can avoid that here. He said that in his statement yesterday. He doesn't think that that's likely in Australia. Do you believe him? It's um, it's a it's contingent on many things. One benefit we have is that we are a heavily resource-oriented economy, export-oriented economy, and all the things that are creating inflation, we tend to sell as well. Um, agricultural commodities, uh, mining commodities. So um, we are well placed in that in that sphere. Uh, the big issue will be the workforce issue. Um, so if we don't address the workforce issues, um, uh, who's to say that we won't go into a, um, a, a recession? That, that's going to be the make or break. And that's why the, the Jobs and Skills Summit um, is very important. And we need to put our best foot forward to say, um, whatever the long-term strategy is in the short to medium term, we really have to focus on migration to get us out of this mess. Well, I think that's all the economic news people can handle. And I think narrowly possibly avoiding a recession is as close as we're going to come to ending on some good news unless we want to talk about the Commonwealth Games or something. Yes, um, yes. So unless Maybe. Good news Maybe. Ship, <laughs> Great, thank you. Thanks, Ash, for joining us. And to everyone else, we'll see you next week on the Weekly Wrap. Thank you for listening to this weekly wrap-up from the National Farmers Federation. For more information about the NFF, visit nff.org.au. Otherwise, stay tuned until next week for the next instalment.